Let's get real, everybody. This is Taylor, and you're listening to The Elephant in the Room. How is everybody doing? I'm doing okay. I would say a solid medium at 1.06 p.m. on Tuesday, November 28th. I'm still in my pajamas. It's a little bit of a low energy morning. I got Tim Hortons for breakfast and it was subpar at best. Um, And every time I order it, I know, I know that it's going to be that. But they have me coming back. I don't know if it's the Canadian loyalty. I don't know if I just like knowing that it's going to be, I don't know, but it was a hard meh for sure. Lots of feedback on episode two, lots of frustrated shoppers out there, lots of good insight into other frustrations that people have. There definitely will be like a part two to the fashion world. Um, I'm not going to touch on it today, but I'm going to take some time and go through everything that everybody said and then yeah do like a part two about fashion and expression and those kinds of things I totally forgot to mention Pennington's Maurice's and Reitman's as stores that have plus size options I just I don't know I don't know if I blocked them out but I totally didn't mention those I was really hoping for an Old Navy sponsorship Uh, Clearly, I'm not there yet um, at 133 followers on the Instagram account. So we're going to keep working towards that. If every person listening to this makes one person follow my Instagram account, I still won't be able to get a sponsorship from Old Navy. But that shouldn't stop you. Go out and recruit out there. I just want free sweaters. Is that too much to ask in this economy? Anyways... We're here and we're ready to do episode three. This episode's probably going to be a two-parter because we are going to be walking through the journey of my body. Welcome. Welcome to its temple. I want to kind of go through from my earliest memories of having either negative or positive thoughts about my body till now and kind of walk through what helped and what really didn't help at all the different stages, different sizes, different mental spaces. I think there's definitely some stuff to take away from it. And they're all part of why I'm where I am today with it. So I think some context and diving in a little bit to my past with it is important to have on the pod. I'm going to be getting like pretty vulnerable in this episode. Uh, Even sitting here now, I I don't know if I'm going to share all of it uh, or just some of it. I'm kind of just going to go with how I feel in the moment. And if I feel comfortable, I'll share some things and I might not share other things because it's been a hard journey for sure. And it's been very dark at times and isolating at times, but I also recognize that Usually when something scares me, uh, it means I should do it. (laughs) I don't always do it, but 
I do have some fear about getting a certain level of vulnerable or sharing certain things on here. But at the same time, I'm like, if I could help one person, then it's probably worth it, you know? And pushing myself through the uncomfortable is part of, you know, my journey. So I'm going to try to be as authentic to that as I can, but also like listen to myself, you know? All right, let's dive into this shit. We take you to a seventh grade tailor in Brantford, Ontario. I say seventh grade because I feel like this is the earliest clear memory I can think of in relation to my body. So I was the first person out of my friend group in elementary school to get breastuses. In grade seven, nobody thinks breasts are great. Not the person with the breasts, not the people who eventually like the breasts. I just felt like super isolated and I like kind of got picked on. What was super rude is that the boys in school would be like, you know, the whole itty bitty titty committee thing that guys used to say and tease girls who didn't have boobs. But then I got teased because I had boobs and I was like, looking back, I'm like, this was my introduction to that being a woman is it's never good enough. It doesn't matter what you do. It's America Ferreira's speech in the Barbie movie. But at, you know, however old you are when you're in grade seven, I have no concept of how old people are in certain grades. I could look at a grade two child and be like, yeah, grade 10, that's a 16 year old. I have zero concept. And I work at a restaurant and I'm all the time like, are you supposed to have the kids menu? Sir, you have a beard. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, so I had boobs early. I also got my period and the, the men have dropped out. The men who, the two men that listen to this podcast have just, see you later. Um, I got my period before all my friends as well. I think I was like end of grade six. And I was just like, oh my God, all of this sucks. Like nobody kind of was going through it with me. And then slowly as my friends started to like go through puberty as well, felt a little less isolating but kids can be mean. And I remember like resenting having boobs because I would get picked on for it. And that's kind of like my first memory with my body. And I think that whole thing was when the comparison really started. And it really sticked. <laughs> stuck? Stuked. It really stuck. Um, throughout life. And I know so many people do it. It's such a bitch. It's such a dangerous, dangerous path to go down. Uh, comparing yourself to other people is almost never good in general. Um, but especially your body. So I think that's when that first started. Then we get to high school and, I think it's like important to note at this point that I was like very much like a smaller body, grade nine, grade 10, um, elementary school. Like I, I wasn't, um, like a bigger kid. I was actually, um, a pretty thin kid. I didn't really start gaining weight until grade 11. And then it just like was a steady, steady flow of pounds to the body which we'll dive into, but get to high school. This is where like comparison really, really started. I'm sure so many people can have memories of like changing for gym class in the, whatever it's called, 
change room. <laughs> change room. Changing in the change room. It's not that hard. It's just one thought to the next. Changing in the freaking change room and looking at other girls and being like, oh my God, they look so much better than me. Not wanting to take off my clothes in the change room because I didn't want to be judged by people. And I think it's important to note that I was a small size at this point because I think it plays a lot into the mindset of where you're at with your body because I was really quite um, a desirable body type, if you will, at that point. I mean, I was a, a child. Like I hadn't really hit puberty yet or like grown into my body, but my body probably wasn't something that people could pick on per se, but I still hated it and felt really self-conscious. So that's grade nine, grade 10, not too much is different. I do have a distinct memory of going on a trip to France and England when I was in grade 10. And this is so embarrassing. And asking like boys on the trip, like, when you think of me, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes into your head? And I don't remember what they said, but it was probably something like, oh, you're funny or you wear glasses or whatever. And, um, and I remember saying to them, just once I wish people would be like, Taylor Hubbard, great body, great body. And like, that's just such an interesting memory to think of because I was so desperate to have people desire my body or be known for having a good body. And I don't have a super great memory with certain things. I, I can't pinpoint moments where maybe marketing or things like that came into play. Like at what point did I realize that I didn't have the type of body that I wanted to have and what helped form my opinion of what body I should have. I don't really have those specific memories, um, but there's a podcast, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's by uh, Glennon Doyle, who wrote a book that's also wildly popular. And she says in her podcast, and I always this has always stuck with me, that her daughter didn't realize that she was supposed to hate her cellulite until she saw a billboard or a poster advertisement that said, you should love your cellulite or like learning to love your cellulite. And she was like, what? Like, I didn't know we had to learn to love it. Like, I, I didn't know we weren't supposed to love it, which is hilarious because that ad probably, the people who made it were probably like, this is such a positive ad, like love your cellulite, but didn't think about how there are a demographic of people who haven't yet realized that there's anything wrong with that. You know, when you're like a kid and you have a belly and you just like grab it and play drums on it and you just don't care. You don't, you, you haven't, your mind hasn't been infected yet with all of the bullshit. And I just, that has always really resonated to me because I never thought about it like that. But at some point I, my mind got infected and I, desired people to recognize me for having a good body that was important to me and like what is a good body you know so then let's fast forward to grade 11 because this is when I have some like clearer memories so in grade 11 I switched high schools I went to the first high school I went to I went to with a good amount of people that I went to elementary school with so I had a pretty core group of people and obviously felt comfortable. And I really liked my first high school. The only reason I switched is because the second high school that I went to had a performing arts program. And I wanted to go to school for musical theater. 
I had big aspirations, big financial aspirations. I said, you know what? I want to sing, dance, and act for nothing an hour because theater will pay the bills. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I switched to this high school and I was very, very, very against it. Uh, my mom and I talk about it all the time, but she she didn't force me by any means, but she definitely knew that it was a smarter move for me for the long term. But little grade 11, sassy, attitude-filled Taylor was grumpy about it. Because going to a school in grade 11 is hard. Everybody's already made their friends. And no matter how electric my personality truly is, nobody really wanted to be friends because they already had friends. So it was like I would talk and small talk with people and have small little relationships, but it was, I like used to eat my lunch in the bathroom like Katie Heron from Mean Girls. And that really sucked. It was a time when I felt like really alone. I did find a small community within my uh, performing arts program, but a lot of us were in different grades and they had their friends outside of the program and Anyways, all to say, I think it's important to note that this is where, like, I became a bit, like, of a moodier, darker version of myself, I guess. And I think part of that came from feeling isolated. Looking back, I, I know that, that it was the smart decision for me as, like, a long-term thing. And I don't care at all now what high school I went to. But at the time, it mattered. Grade 11 is also when I started taking birth control for the first time. And... People absolutely gain weight on birth control. There's like this whole narrative where people are like, women just blame gaining weight on birth control. No, like I went up like two cup sizes and I already was a chesty girl at the ripe age of whatever age you are in grade seven. So I got bigger boobs for sure. And this is when I started to gain weight. Um... I think, you know, I probably gained 10 pounds maybe on birth control. And then my mom kind of always told me like her metabolism slowed very early when she was like 15, 16. And I had really horrible eating habits. And she would always say like, just so you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought I knew everything and not that it really matters that I gained weight, but I started to gain weight pretty steadily, I would say, in grade 11 and then into grade 12. This grade 11 and 12 were really hard years for me. And I'm definitely somebody who can block things out in my mind. So I don't have super specific memories. Like my memories are fuzzier then than they were in grade nine. I don't really remember comparing my body to people. I do remember being in a couple musicals where I had to wear like tights and a bodysuit or, you know, like leather leggings and a tight shirt and, and having to go on stage in front of my high school and feeling worried about that. And at this point, grade 11, grade 12, I was still, you know, probably considered an average sized body. I was not a, in a bigger body yet, but I definitely still felt that pressure to look a certain way. And I picked myself apart a lot and didn't feel confident in the skin I was in, which I think is hard as a teenager anyways. Where it really began was in theater school. Um, because I moved, my theater school didn't have a residence. Like I didn't have a meal plan. I didn't have, I didn't stay on campus. It was a private college. It, I had my own apartment with my friend. 
we had to cook all our own meals. This was like before Uber and Uber Eats. Thank God. Me and my current roommate to this day, and I've lived with her for 10 years. Shout out Neely. She's who I moved to the city with. And we always talk about how ruined we would have been if Uber Eats was a thing. Because that just like wasn't a choice. You could like order Chinese food. You could order pizza. We were too broke to do that anyways. But you kind of had to make all your own meals. I also like we had an internet bill in our name. And there was just like we grew up really quickly. I went from living with my parents and having them, you know, it's not that I wasn't an independent kid. But I went from having my parents help me with things to just being completely on my own. There's also some life things that happened when I was in grade 12 that definitely contributed to some depression. Uh, I think that that's really where depression began. And she's still here. She is just a, a relentless little fucker. And she still follows me day to day. She's annoying. Um, but I think that's where that began. And in my house growing up, there wasn't a ton of junk food. So I sought out junk food bad food for you outside of my house. And that's where I think there started to be a lot of shame wrapped up in food for me. This is getting so real, but I'm sure so many people listening to this are going to be like, yeah, I totally understand what that's like. Um, And I think wrapping up the emotion of shame, which I think is just like one of the most horrible and complicated emotions out there with food, something that's supposed to be nutritional to you and fuel your body can be really dangerous and make your relationship with food really complicated, Ever Levine. So I do think having the restriction of not being able to just openly eat junk food created this eat in secret, eat a lot of junk food when I'm not home, before I get home, binge type behavior that started from when I was in elementary school through to high school. And then when I moved out for the first time, well, there's no rules around here, sister. I'm the boss of this house. And so I could eat whatever I wanted. And I remember going to the grocery store and being like, I'm going to have toaster strudels for dinner because I never was allowed to have toaster strudels. And I still to this day think if you want to have toaster strudels for dinner, go fucking get it. They're great. But I was in a pretty intense physical (laughs) program in college. And it's just like, Toaster strudels aren't going to like fuel your body for sure. They're going to taste good and feel good and like we should eat them. But they weren't like maybe a good choice for dinner four times a week. (laughs) So and then when you add depression into the mix, when you throw her into the into the cauldron, you really start to have a weird relationship with food because food is a dopamine hit. Good food. I've chatted to people before who are like, I just kind of eat food to eat. Like, I don't really like enjoy food. And I'm like, wow, that is just so not me. Um, I've always been like a foodie. I love good food. Good food makes me happy. It makes me, I look forward to it. I like to share good food with people. I like to eat good food with people. I find it to be like a bonding thing. I just, I like food. If this podcast ever goes anywhere, these little clips of me saying these things are going to just be weaponized against me, but whatever. Um, I like food and I'm fat. Okay. So get the fuck over it. But anyways, I started to, my depression started to really increase. I had more freedom than I'd ever had before. And 
that became a deadly combination. And I started to gain weight quite rapidly, I would say. Um, I said this in a couple of episodes ago, a couple, like I have a hundred. There's, this is the third one. So in one of the two other episodes I have, I think I mentioned that I really struggled with my body in theater school, but looking back, I don't know if I would really consider myself to be like a bigger body. I was definitely curvier. I definitely had some weight on me, but I don't think I would consider myself to be a bigger body at that point, but oh my God, like when I was in it, I thought I was just like ready for an episode of a TLC show. And comparison got really big in theater school. I wore a lot, like lots of like, yeah, like tights and bodysuits and things that are form fitting because I'm dancing and you need to be able to see my body and, and not, I think I mentioned not wanting to have like photos taken of me in those types of outfits and really hating looking at them. And the, the theater world is also so, so, so cruel and dated and likes to pigeonhole people with weight on their bodies into certain characters and tells you you can't ever play the other ones if you have weight on your body. And all I ever wanted to do was be in musical theater. I, ever since I was a kid, you know, my focus now as an adult has shifted to film and TV. But when I was in theater school, that's all I wanted. I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to do those things. And that realization that so many incredible roles that I loved were never going to be in reach for me because I had weight on my body was a really hard realization at 19. That me being talented and passionate and hardworking weren't good enough. That something as trivial as my pant size could stop somebody from hiring me for a role I'm completely capable to play. And, and this is for sure inevitably going to have to be a theater school call out because so many toxic things happened when I was in theater school. And when many people are in theater school, it's like brutal. It's brutal. But I remember we had this session once in a class where we all stood up and the whole class looked at you and I won't name anybody, but one of the teachers said what your hit was, which is, you know, what you, based on it, just what you look like, what you would be cast as. And thin people with big boobs who were pretty were told they were bitchy cheerleaders, you know, just this classic stereotype casting. And I stood up and it was like, you know, funny friend, um, character actor, which I've always really resented that statement because I'm like, what does that mean? And just, you know, not that I, I didn't want to be those roles because I definitely like gravitate towards that, those types of characters and telling those types of stories. But I did resent that that was all I was told I could ever be. I've never, ever been somebody who likes to follow the rules. I hate authority. If you tell me don't cross the street, I'll cross it while you're telling me not to cross it. It's just who I am. <laughs> and so I heard that and in my head I was like, fuck that. Like, fuck you, fuck that. How do you know? And I like wanted to be the exception to the rule and the barrier breaker of those things. But I was far too fragile and sad and hurt to have been that version of myself at that age. And then a big thing happened in theater school that really shook me, which was, I think it was halfway through, 
one of my teachers sat me down. I think at this point it was known that I I had gone to a our like guidance counselor or whatever social whatever person um, after a, a couple of my friends sat me down in theater school and said, listen, you've got to talk to somebody. You've got to get some help because I was so depressed um, and having some very dark thoughts. I'm sure you can imagine what those are. I'm not going to get into it too much. But so I went to this guidance counselor and I told her that I was struggling a lot and that I, I wanted to seek out some therapy. And it was a very small school. So I I am sure that was communicated to my teachers. If it wasn't, it really should have been. Like, it's not hard to keep people in the loop. But also, the guidance counselor and the artistic director were, like, related through some family. So I also was like, they probably talk anyways. Uh, it was the artistic director who pulled me into her office about halfway through school and said, a couple of your dance teachers have came up to me and said that um, they're worried that you're gaining a lot of weight. And she like slid a piece of paper to me that was like, you know, here are some nutritional options and you could see a nutritionist. And I think I just zoned out. (laughs) During that, I was so embarrassed and shocked. It's literally calling out the elephant in the room. It's something that I was struggling with a lot and my body was changing and I was gaining weight and I didn't grow up dancing. So in my dance classes, I not only had to learn how to dance at 18, which I don't think like anybody really, like there's only so much progress to be made. Definitely wasn't going to become a ballerina, that's for sure. And, but I, I had been feeling that already. I had felt shame about my body and then to sit in an office and have somebody look at me and be like yeah people are talking about it and it's in the newspaper and we all hate it too is how I took that it was the worst possible thing that she could have done everything about the approach was horrible that has stuck with me till today I was 19 when that happened. I am 28 now, and I still think about that once a month. I will never forget that. And words stick. And words stick when you are talking to people who are growing up and being and learning about themselves and in very impressionable eras, if you will, Taylor's version, of your life. You have to be very delicate and careful about your intent when you're saying things like that, because that wrecked me. I remember going home to my roommate and just like falling into the floor and sobbing and being so upset and talking to one of my teachers who was so lovely and was a bigger body actually. And I mean, so was the person who sat me down and said this, but whatever. And I talked to this other teacher and I was like, now I'm never going to play anything. Now I'm probably not even going to be able to be the character roles or the funny friend. Like I had lost all hope and faith in myself in this career path that I had chosen. And, you know, he really reassured me that basically what she said is bullshit and that it wasn't right. And I remember going to my dance teachers and saying, like, I had a meeting with so-and-so and I heard that there's like a 
weekly group where you guys are drinking coffee and shit talking my body. And I just wanted to say, could we switch to another topic maybe that's a little healthier? Um, something along those lines. And one of my dance teachers was like, I absolutely did not say that. And I am very uncomfortable with the fact that I was lumped into that kind of like rhetoric. And that just did horrible things to me um, in so many ways for my career, for my mental health, for my confidence when it came to dating. I really, that really shifted things for me in a very negative way. And I went through like a a hard breakup when I went to college. I was with somebody that I really loved and he broke up with me and it took me years and years and years to get over it. And so I didn't date all through school. I kind of told myself, you know what? I'm just going to focus on school. It was a very demanding program, lots of hours a week. And I said, I'm just going to focus on that. But slowly as I started to hate my body more and slowly as, you know, comments like this happened or I was pigeonholed into certain areas, I just was like, why date anyways? Like who on earth is going to want to spend time with me, have sex with me, kiss me, introduce me to people in their life and say, this is Taylor and I'm seeing her. Like I had no confidence that that was available to me at all. So fast forward to graduation from theater school and I mentioned in the last episode that I went to get my dress for graduation and I was so stressed about it and I remember getting that dress for graduation and not like wanting to eat too much between getting that dress and graduation because I thought oh my gosh what if I gain weight because I had been gaining weight so steadily so it wasn't a crazy thought that I could not fit into this dress at some point and I would try it on all the time and be like oh thank god it still fits And my graduation, something that was supposed to be exciting and getting dressed up with people that I loved, because if you go to theater school, you become family with the people you go to school with. And all I cared about was, am I going to fit into my dress? So many incredible moments in my life were robbed by, because I hated my body. I didn't want to take photos and make memories. I couldn't be present and enjoy a moment because all I was thinking about was, my body and that I didn't like it and that I resented it and that I wished it was different. And I definitely had moments throughout the year with family where my weight was brought up as a concern and I really, it just felt like nobody would stop talking about it. You know, whether it was my mom bringing it up and I love you mom and we've worked through a lot and my mom is an incredible person and an incredible mother, but she did bring up my weight from time to time. And then, you know, my theater school teacher saying something and then me already feeling that. And there was a time in theater school when I was walking on the street and a homeless person yelled that I was a fat fuck. And it's like, I couldn't escape it. Not only am I living in this body that is changing in a way that I am not proud of and I'm not embracing and I'm not confident in, But all of these other people are constantly being like, hey, you know, you're gaining weight, right? And I couldn't escape it. It became, it took over my life and my brain and the way I saw the world and myself like poison. And looking back, I can't help but regret some of that. I mean, it got me to where I am today and you can't change anything. But even when I see people now who are who are at a place with their body where I once was, I just like want to grab them and scoop them up and take them to a safe place and like force them to love their body because it makes me so sad that anybody has to go through that. That feeling of hating something that 
is so good to you. My body has gotten me through so much. My body has gotten me through depression. My body has gotten me through big life changes. It's gotten me through an incredibly difficult theater program. It gets me through, you know, 12-hour shifts serving. It's incredible and it does incredible things. And, you know, when we eat good food and we give our body good nutrition and we move our bodies and we stretch our bodies and we do all these things that are good for our bodies, nobody talks about the mental part of it. And the mental part of it is huge (laughs) because you can be doing all of those things that are proven to be good for your body. But if you're mentally in a bad place with your body, nothing is really good going to change. I really think mindset has so much to do with it. So I graduate theater school. I'm in a horrible place with my body. My friends would want to go out to bars and and do, you know, 20-year-old things and I wouldn't go because one, I was so depressed I didn't want to leave the house and two, I didn't want to put clothes on and have men look at me and think what I thought they were going to think. I discounted so many people and so many experiences because I had already wrote the narrative for myself. I had already been like, well, everybody's talking about how fat I am. So why go out in the world so more people can talk about it? And this was a time where I was intaking a lot of social media and like reality TV shows. And that was really hurting my view of my body because... Nobody on my social media looked like me. Nobody in these reality TV shows where people were finding love, LOL. I look at it now and I'm like, oh my God, if that's love, I'm good over here. I'm not interested. Thank you very much. But there was no representation of me. I looked at musicals and the characters I wanted to play didn't look like me. I watched TV shows and the stories I wanted to tell were people who didn't look like me. I, I had written myself off as just not worthy of finding somebody and sleeping with somebody and doing all of those things. I It made my standards really low because I thought, well, I'll just take what I can get because who's going to, you know, want to be with the elephant in the room? And if you're in therapy at all and you like do inner child work or talk about things like that. It's like I I think of that 20-year-old girl who was so sad and broken and beaten down and hard on herself and I just want to hug her because I deserved better than that. I deserve to treat myself better than that. And it wasn't until I would say probably COVID where I really started to shift my perspective on my body. The big things that I did that I found extremely helpful where I changed the way I spoke about my body. I used to do a lot of self-deprecating humor, which if I had made this specific podcast episode when I was 22, it would have been a hilarious episode because I would constantly be defaulting to humor to escape the vulnerability and the parts of me that I, I wanted to cover with humor so that everybody at least just thought I was funny because I knew that there was worth in my humor. But now as an adult, you know, this episode isn't as funny because I'm not going to default to poking fun at my body and and picking at myself. I'm going to just be real and tell you where I'm at with it. And so I stopped doing self-deprecating jokes a lot of the time and I stopped referring to myself in a negative way. I really changed my social media and I say all the time that I think changing your social media is the biggest thing you could do for yourself. 
follow all types of people. You don't have to get rid of everybody on your feed just because they're thin and you're not thin or they're, you know, bigger and you're not bigger. But I think representation, and there will be a whole episode on representation, but I think representation is so important. It makes you feel seen. It takes away the isolation. And I don't think confidence and empowerment and growth can come from feeling isolated. I started to, I unfollowed some people who I was like, I just find your content to be a little bit toxic for me. It's nothing against you. It's just how my brain intakes looking at your content and what I do to myself when I look at it. Because the comparison thing was just as strong at 25 as it was when I was in grade seven. And I started to follow people who looked like me. And I I love fashion. So I started to follow plus size content creators who would do fashion videos. And that would get me excited about fashion again. And I would think that they looked so incredible and confident and vibrant in these videos where they felt sexy. And that started my push on wanting to, you know change the way I dressed and not caring about if everything was flattering or not. I I hate that word. What is flattering? Who decided what flattering was? I, I think there's a time and place for flattering. Sure. I think there are certain things scientifically that look better on different body types, but who gives an actual fuck? Like, I want to dress for myself. I want to dress for what makes me feel comfortable and sexy and empowered. And I, I was so caught up in, well, it's not flattering, it's not flattering my whole life that it robbed me from my love of fashion that I've had since I was young. And I started to get liberated by these people that I followed. And that mixed with, you know, I used to stare at myself in the mirror and grab the parts of me that I didn't like and, t- and just tell myself I loved myself. I know that sounds so like hippie and weird, but it helped. The more I did that, coupled with I stopped self-deprecating myself in situations, because I did that because I always wanted to call out the elephant in the room before anybody else could, right? I was so worried, well, everybody has already been talking about my body and that I'm gaining weight, so if I get ahead of it and I make a comment about it, then nobody else will be able to say anything, or at least I hold the power. But my current power doesn't live in making a joke about my body. My current power lives in finding love for my body because I truly have. So the social media, the not self-deprecating myself, the looking in the mirror and telling myself I loved myself, those things really started to change my perspective. And this was when I was the heaviest I have been. I mean, currently, right now, today is the heaviest I've been. But in COVID, I was way heavier than I was in elementary school and high school and theater school and even post-theater school. I graduated in 2015. COVID was in 2020. So I I had still been steadily gaining weight because I was still depressed. I was still having a complicated relationship with food. I still have a complicated relationship with food. That is a really hard thing to uproot. But I started to see myself differently and kind of uproot some of that fat phobia that I had for myself. Because I, like I said, it comes from you. It comes from hating yourself. I always thought other people looked amazing. <laughs> people that were bigger than me, people that were my size. You never see yourself the way other people see you. It's so sad because my biggest wish for so many people, women specifically, because I do find 
that women have a bigger societal battle with their bodies. So once I was in a headspace where I was feeling more confident and empowered, I started to date more. Um, and I think that really helped too, just to get out in the world, meet different people, have experiences with different people and realize that people do want to go out on dates with me. People do want to sleep with me. People want to, that was in my head. I, I had put a block up and decided that that wasn't for me or it wasn't true. But once I had gotten myself to a place where I didn't feel the need to protect myself so much from anything that could have hurt me because I, I started to know my worth myself. So if somebody had said a comment to me, would it have still hurt? 100%. But it would have taken less from me. Once I got out into the world and started doing that, I really started to be like, oh my God, like you made up a lot of this in your head. You wrote a narrative for yourself based on society and your hatred for your body that robbed you of so many experiences. And instead of being angry and regretting it, I just decided to full force start living my life, wearing my crop tops, not caring if they were flattering or not, not wearing a bra in public, even though I have really big boobs, going out on dates, having, you know, a one night stand and never seeing them again. Not that I'm like, I don't know, everybody go like, I don't know. I mean, everybody should have a one night stand at some point in their life if that's something that you want to do. But just like living life like smaller bodies were and doing things that other people were doing that I thought I couldn't. I just, I took to the streets and I started to take my life into my own hands. And that really changed the game for me. And if you're listening to this and you're looking for tips to try and break yourself out of some of the things that might be resonating with you, I highly, highly suggest going through your social media and clearing it out and following people who look like you so that there's constantly a reflection of happy, thriving, vibrant people who look like you in the social media you're intaking. I just think it's very important. I encourage everybody to grab parts of their body they don't love and tell yourself you love it in the mirror every day until you do. You know, there's a certain level of fake it till you make it and eventually you realize like you've made it. <laughs> and yeah, if you're somebody who is self-deprecating, I do think self-deprecating humor has its moments. I love all types of humor, but I do think it's like a defense mechanism and I think it robs you of some of the power you have, even though you feel like it gives you more. I think those three things, if you start doing those things, are going to, you're going to have a different outlook, even a little bit, within a month or two. Those things have changed my outlook, and I can't imagine they wouldn't change other people's too. There's so much more to get into, which is why we're going to do a part two of this episode. Um, if you're coming here for my comedy. I'm see, I even now, even now, I feel guilty. I feel guilty that I'm not giving. It's always been the thing that everybody has valued about me, among other things, but the thing that has stuck out to me the most as a valuable part of myself. And even now at 28, where I am with my body, I still feel guilty for not giving enough comedy because I can't imagine anybody would want to just sit here and listen to me speak from the heart. <laughs> But that's what I did today. That's what I'm going to do for episode four, which will be part two of this. Um, 
I encourage everybody to like slide in some DMs. If anything in this episode resonated with you or if there's things from this episode you wanted me to dive into more or any questions you have or anything like that so that I can include those in part two um, because I would love to incorporate feedback and those kinds of things into my episodes so that I'm definitely targeting specific things that people want to hear or want to talk about. But I appreciate you for listening. I said in my first episode that this is a safe space and I think the people who are coming back and listening to episodes, you guys are people who I can feel comfortable doing this with. And if this podcast ever does, you know, get a bigger following, at least I started with a small, safe group to share in. And so thank you for that. All right. It's 2.01 p.m. on Tuesday. You're listening to this at a different time. But if you're finishing up this episode... I want you to take out your headphones, look at yourself in the mirror, tell yourself you're a bad bitch, go eat a toaster strudel, and give yourself some more credit, and give yourself a fucking chance, because you deserve it. I love ya. Bye.